exciting day because what I have on my heart to talk about is believing. Believing. And that's really the core of our life. So often we, we um, being brought up from a child on in a very natural world, of course. And so, so we, a lot of the senses get trained from the external in. So this is hard surface, you know, you touch it, it's hard and hot and uh, water is wet. And so there, there is almost like an inundation of the sensory as we grow up and we come into adulthood or, you know, just just as we go through the years of, of life. And so at some point we start transitioning from what we truly understand being an in-working of a framework to external information inundating us to form a new perspective. And um, what I'll, I'll bring out today is that everything that we actually perceive, even in the natural, is actually based from a framework of mind. And so what you see and how you see it is really not defined by the object itself, but by what you project on the object. And so that's really what we call believing. So the disposition of, of, of my makeup within, of what I believe is true, what I'm still in the flex uh, mode of trying to define exactly what is it I believe, do I believe anything, I don't know that I believe, but all of us have a core belief system. All of us have a core belief system, and yet we're living in a world more than ever before that is really redefining core systems. It's really wanting to reshape from the outside in what we believe, because the external does have a, a bearance. Of course it does. So, so these teachings are really to affirm a core foundation that will keep us stable, to affirm a core foundation that would overwhelm the external shaping that's wanting to mold us into. So Jesus is, is his name. That's whom we believe in. That's the foundation that we stand on here. So let's go to a uh, book of John. I've got so many verses today, and I even if I just do three of those, that's awesome. Actually, we're going to go to book of Matthew. So Matthew is the first book in the gospel, the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew is going to be chapter 13. So kind of like midpoint of Matthew in the New Testament. Uh, here we go. We, we recognize that when Jesus walked earth, he spoke parables. And so the parables were really stories that were to bring forth a thought. It was to provoke, provoke something inside of us to really identify us to what it is that we believe. So whatever it is that Jesus painted a picture with words really kind of was very confrontive to my belief system. And so here we have it in, in 13, the disciples, uh, those, the friends of Jesus are alongside of Jesus in verse 10. And they're saying, they're saying to him, the disciples came and said to him, to Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? Why do you, can we say, speak to them in kind of like mysteries? Why are you not so clear? And so here Jesus answers and said to them, because it has been given to you, it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven or the divine expression of God is a mystery to mind. And without a storytelling, so to say, we really can't step into a divine reality because a story spoken to us, even the message that's being communicated to now, when we hear with an open heart, it's actually quite transformative. 
What at that moment happens, especially when we're born again and, and Jesus lives inside of us, then at that moment, we know the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God lives inside of us. And so when we are presented with a truth, the Word of God, when we're presented with the truth, the Holy Spirit within us bears witness. Ha, ha, this is living, this is real. And so that's the purpose of the mystery is that to the one that's born again, that has the Spirit of God within him, it's not a mystery, it's actually an unveiling of a reality. Whereas to everyone else, it's like Chinese, let's piece, let's piece the pieces together. And it's always on the external, but the kingdom of God is always of the internal. And so it is, is Jesus is saying to them, I speak in mysteries, but that's not to, to make you not understand. Because to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, to them, the unbelieving is, you know, to them, to the religious mindset that's hardened by the form of what it should look like, by the form of this is how it's done, to them, it's hard to understand. So, so here, verse 12, he says, For whoever has to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So seeing those seeing they do not see and though hearing they do not hear. And that is the power of a framework. That when one's mind is set, and, and here in this moment Jesus is speaking a story, but the mind is so set and the heart is so hardened in, in a formal expression of this is how it is. Then, though we're presented with truth, we're not hearing it. Though we're He's standing before us. We're not seeing him. And last week we, we talked on two instances. One is the apostle Paul that wrote two thirds of the New Testament and, and his moment of transformation because he was hardcore religious persecuting the believers of Jesus. And, um, on the road to Damascus, he had the moment and Jesus himself stood before him and light shone around about him. And it was a very transformational moment for Paul. And thereafter he got well, he was actually so, and he got renamed to Paul and became a disciple of Jesus. And then we looked at another story again on the road. It was to Emmaus after Jesus' death and resurrection. These two disciples of Jesus who supposedly should have known Jesus are walking and reasoning. What has happened? Here someone tells us they saw the body of Jesus alive. Who, how can be? You know, we saw him die on the cross and we, we heard he was laid in the tomb and now he's alive. And what is all this about? And here comes resurrected Jesus to them and said, you know, what are you talking about? And goes through the scriptures and opens up their understanding. And so, so whenever truth is confronted to us, we always have an opportunity to be transformed by it or to not see it at all and have hardened hearts. And so then here Jesus is saying, this is because in the Old Testament, it's written of these people that have a hardened heart. And this is the prophecy of Isaiah. I'm continuing from verse 14. Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. You know, it's like trying to explain something for the hundredth time and you realize it's just not going through. It's just, it's just not going through, you know. And seeing you will see and not perceive, for the hearts of this people 
The hearts of these people have grown dull, and that is callous. That word is callous. And I thought, you know, how do your hands grow calloused? By way of use. How do our hearts get calloused? By way of use, but in the wrong way. And so the trials of life, the pains of life, the disappointments of life, it's one more layer, callous. One more layer, callous. One more layer, callous. And so the more we callous our heart to, this is how it is. No one's ever going to love me. This is my portion in life. This is how it is. I'll be a reject. This is how it is. And no matter how much love is poured on that one, it's this mindset. It's so hardened. Become calloused. And he says they have ears and they're hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. So here we have a way out. It is by opening the eyes and by becoming attentive to truth that at that moment when we start seeing and perceiving right and hearing right, our hearts get healed. And that's the ultimate tenderizing. And so he turns to the disciples then and says, but blessed are your eyes. We qualify. <laughs> blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear did not hear it. So let's go to chapter 15 here. Jesus had just done a, 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 um, a big miracle and the disciples are now right after the miracle this setup is and they crossed over to the other side from where the miracle had happened and um, verse 5, Matthew 16, 5. Now when the disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. The miracle that Jesus just did was the breaking of, what is it? Took seven loaves and, and the two fish and gave thanks and there was a major multiplication. So, so here, here we have this group of people, his inner working people, his disciples, and they've just witnessed this miracle of this little boy having just a small little supply of, of five loaves, is it? And, and two fish and seven loaves and the two fish and, um, and Jesus says, bring that nothingness to me. Bring the nothingness of your life to, to me. And he blessed it and multiplied it and it fed the multitude. And that really is a reflection of our lives. When we bring that which we have, though it might be precious, in the light of who God is, it's nothing. But yet when we present our lives to him, there is a breaking that happens the breaking of the hardened heart happens. The breaking of the calluses happen. And at that moment, he's releasing his life through his hands in our life. And now we can feel the multitude. We can feed the multitude. But bringing hope to another. So this had just happened, the feeding of the multitude. And so now they're on the other side of this miracle. And Jesus is within his own little group of people. And, and they don't have bread. So they don't have bread, okay? So it's amazing what a hardened heart does, okay? They don't have bread. They forgot the bread. They forgot the bread. And Jesus said to them, 
Take heed and beware, verse 6. Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Those are the religious rulers of the day. They're the Jewish rulers of the day. And so what happened is they reasoned. They reasoned among themselves saying, it is because we have taken no bread. That's why. And Jesus being aware of it said to them, oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves? Because you have brought no bread. Do you not yet understand? Or remember the five loaves of the, the five loaves of the five thousand and now, and how many baskets were left over? Nor the seven loaves and the, the four thousand, how many large baskets you took up? How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? And then they understood that he did not tell them be beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine or the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And those teachings, as you as you read in, in the Gospels, you recognize those are teachings that bring forth a hardening of heart. Those are teachings that focus on the external form of religiosity. Those are the teachings that that tell you what, this is what you do and this is what you do not do. And they have really no ability to enter into the heart of man and transform a life to do right. And so it's always about an outward working. And so as we started, we said that our understanding is really from an inward framework rather than an outward working. And so when we try to change an outward working of, I do this every day and I shouldn't be doing it anymore, and, and we keep coming into this place of conflict where I try to change, it hasn't budged, it hasn't budged. So then I realize, all right, there's a mindset that's producing this behavior. So the teachings of the Pharisees did not touch that mindset. If anything, they actually hardened the mindset. And so that's what Jesus was, was, was talking about. And so with that kind of a hardened mindset where it's all about the external validation, it's all about the external perspective, then that's really where the reasoning is. It starts hitting our carnal mind, the mind of man that tells you, okay, one plus two equals three. So if I work really hard on this and next time not forget the bread, then I will be fed. And yet they just had seen a miracle that had nothing to do with reason. And so God is always after your heart and never after your reason. But when he gets your heart, you transform your reason. When he gets your heart and he moves and lives and abides within you mightily by the power of the Holy Spirit, then at that moment, there is a working of this word that starts transforming my reasoning. And so now I silence that. I'm like, all right, I'm in the very presence of Jesus who just multiplied the bread. So I can just settle down. I will be fed. So let's go to the book of Mark. He's the other disciple of Jesus that wrote about these stories. I just wanted to look at them because each one brings a little bit more of a light. So after the, so there were two instances of feedings of this miracle. One was where there was the 5,000 fed and then the 4,000. And uh, after both of these miracles, now they're crossing the sea and just stays behind in, in, in a place of prayer. And he sends the disciples over across the other side on the water. And um, right in the middle of that sea, there is a storm. And in that storm, it gets pretty chaotic. <laughs> the disciples start 
fearing for their life. And um, Jesus, from his place of prayer, perceives and understands what's going on and starts walking on the water towards them. And so this is the moment. So verse 46, this is Mark with the book of Mark, chapter 6, Mark 6, 46. When he had sent them away, Jesus sent the disciples away. He departed the mountains to pray. Now when evening had come, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, Walking on the sea, he's always in the supernatural. Jesus is always in the supernatural. He's always walking in the sea of the Spirit. He's ever present in the tossing waves of our lives. But he's always in the supernatural. And so there was straining at rowing, for the wind was against him. And now about the fourth watch, he started walking towards them and and would have passed them by. This always amazes me. He would have passed them by. Is it because he was just so confident they're not going to drown? Is it because he'd already given the command because he is God in flesh, go to the other side, and he was so persuaded by the word that he spoke over them? They're not going to drown. It's just a little moment. Just a moment. And hopefully in their moment, as I walk by, they'll recognize me. You know, they didn't recognize him. In their moment, and that's how normally it is. In our moment of tribulation, he's right there and we don't recognize him. But his confidence in us is the word he's placed inside of us. They're going to make it. They'll come through on the other side. And yet he's standing right there as he did with those two disciples on the road of, the, of, of Emmaus, listening to them being very sad because Jesus died. And then here is the resurrected Jesus standing, walking right there, and they're mourning a death that brought forth life. And so when he spoke to those two disciples on that road, he really rebuked them, says, why don't you believe the scripture? Why don't you believe the word you read? Why don't you believe? And so, yeah, he was going to walk past them. And I think it's not because he didn't care. He was fully persuaded of when he sent them to depart to the other side. There was power in his word to take them to the other side. And no matter what it was from here to over there, the little trouble, the big trouble, the major tribulation, up and down on those waters again we go. We will make it to the other side. And that really is the assurance of the Christian life. We'll make it to the other side. And so why? Because he's given us a word. He's given us a word. And so when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. That's what fear does. Fear distorts everything. Fear distorts everything. And the ones that we love, for they love Jesus, now becomes a threat to us. And he said, they cried out, it's a ghost. For they all saw him and were troubled. <laughs> the savior of the world. And they were troubled because fear is so distortive. And so that's why the importance of, of this word to come into my heart and to flush out all those wrong reasonings and all those issues of fear. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. 
Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. Isn't it amazing? Jesus in your boat, wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. They had not understood about the loaves. They had not understood the miracle working power of God. They had not understood that, that Jesus is the living Christ, that he is the son of God because their hearts were hardened. And how do we know their hearts were hardened? Because there was fear. And so whenever there's, again, from these two uh, stories that are really the same stories that I just read, in the first moment we saw reasoning and in the second moment we saw fear. And those two things really are tokens of a hardened heart. Now, there's nothing wrong in, in sitting down and, and surveying the landscape of your life and making some decisions and, and aligning certain things, but I'm talking about the reasoning that would use against God. I'm talking about the reasoning that once He's shown to us His goodness and His mercy and how we can just reason it away. How we can just toss him to the side and, and suddenly here we are. We are just so strong and, and now we, we're going to brave it and roll through these waters and make it against this wind that's against us. We're just going to do it. And in that, I'm just going to do it. He can walk right past you and you totally miss him because he has already done it for us. Because when he gave us go to the other side, it's a done deal. That word has inherent power to take me to the other side. And so now we flip over a page to Mark 8, again, the same, the same book, 8, 11. This is the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time. They came out, 8, 11, they came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven. He'd just given all these miracles. He'd just given all these miracles. Look, this is after chapter 6 that we just read from where there were two major feedings and many healings, of course. And so they, they come to him and seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And this is truly the reflection of the heart of God is when we have walked with him and we're still seeking for another sign. We're still saying, you know, yeah, I did see that miracle and I did see that and I, and I experienced that. But you know what? I'm still not persuaded. My heart's still quite hard yet. And you better do one more thing for me because uh, I wouldn't believe you. And he wasn't happy with that. Because you see, he's not against doing one more thing. He is constantly in my life and he's constantly enabling me to walk out this divine reality that he's given to us now that he lives in me and that he, he the way of life has already been made for me and that I will make it to the other side. But, but in the moment of the journey, it's amazing how quickly we can forget the bread. And last week we, we read from John that he defines himself as the bread of life. That Jesus is the living water and he's the bread of life that God sanded. And when we partake of him, we have living life and, and we have eternal life. And we can so quickly forget that bread and forget that we actually have drunk of that water and we've been satisfied. And here we are at another parched place. We're like, you know what, Jesus? One more sign. One more sign, Jesus. 
Because I really don't know if I can trust you. I really don't know if I really believe in you. And it grieved his heart. You know why? Because the bottom line of all of it is not believing the love of God. When we don't believe that we're loved by God, it's a very difficult, <laughs> difficult situation. Because we go back to that framework. Unlovely, unlovable, rejected. And that label and that wrong identity becomes an affront to the very love of God. And actually, that was my title for today. Love opens our hearts to understand. Love opens our hearts to understand. Let's go to the book of John. I love John. John had a very tender heart. Scholars say that he was the youngest disciple of Jesus. And not sure if, you know, the younger you are, the easier it is to, to glean from him. Because as we grow in age, our, through experiences, our hearts can get hardened. But here is, is John. And it's really just recapping of everything I read. This is John chapter 12. But although he, Jesus, uh, 12, 37, verse 37. But although he, Jesus, that's Jesus, had done so many signs before them. Although Jesus had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe, because Isaiah had said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. When he saw Isaiah, the prophet of the Old Testament, saw ahead and saw the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we know from what we just read, it's not like God said, I'm hardening your heart today. That is something that they chose. <laughs> they chose. And so it's like he allowed it to happen because he can't override your will. God cannot override your will. What he will do is he will keep working by the power of the Holy Spirit to tenderize your heart as you read this word. It will be one more layer of an opportunity for you to release that tight clench <laughs> and to just trust, to just let it go and to trust and to come back to if God before me, if God has spoken this to me, I'll make it to the other side, then he's worthy of my trust then I will make it to the other side. Then I will make it through this moment. Then I will see glory at the end of this path. Then I'll choose to see glory even now because I'll behold his glory. Like Isaiah back then, he saw the glory in his moment. I don't know how many centuries prior the prophet Isaiah lived before Jesus' time. And so here, let's go back to, but although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe. I want to go this one. You don't have to flip. I'll just read this one. It's back in Matthew 13, so you don't have to flip there right now. But it's Matthew 13, 58. This is Jesus rejected in his own hometown, and um, their hearts were so hardened as to who they thought Jesus was. You know, isn't he the carpenter's son? Didn't we see him 
growing up? How can he be the Messiah? How can he be the one sent from God? How can he be? He's just Jesus. I just grew. He is little Jesus. He's, he is little Jesus in that Christmas crate. You know, he's little Jesus. He's just baby Jesus. He's just baby Jesus. He's not God. He's just the baby Jesus that, that we saw Mary give birth to. He's just the baby Jesus. He's, he's Joseph's son, the carpenter. Maybe they even had a piece of furniture Jesus did for them. And that's what a hardened heart would do is not see beyond the moment. To look at someone and, and just see a definition that we have projected on and never see them for who, what God has placed in them. And so here, and he was rejecting his own hometown and it grieved his heart. And it said, 1356, his sisters, you know, we knew the brothers, we knew the sisters, you know, aren't they all among us, the people reasoning in their mind, and where did this man, Jesus, get all these things from? And so they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and his own house. And I read this for this. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And so the issue with unbelief is not so much that it's hurting God, it's actually hurting us. It's actually tying the hands of God. Because when we choose to not believe, after we have walked with him and after we've known him for a season, and we still choose to demand one more sign, one more work, let me reason with you, God, how I need one more token of your love. Then it says, he did not do many things there because of their unbelief. It's like my belief in him attracts him. My faith in him draws him nigh unto me. And the book of Hebrews talks about that the only thing that pleases God is, is faith because faith is a believer. And faith is a tender heart. There's nothing more pure and precious than a little child coming to you and just believing that you just, you can do it all. You know, as a parent, I've experienced that and, and just the, that, that unquestionable trust that a, a young child has towards a parent. And that is truly the purity of, of a heart that we're talking about. And that is based on love. And so when a child knows that they are loved, they believed. And so a lot of the messages coming up to this moment have been on the love of God. To open up our hearts again to believe and not to be demanding, so to say, prove to me you're God, but to believe the kindness he's shown us all of our life. And from here forth, he's like, I want to do more for you. Let me do more for you. Let me do more for you. Don't be. Unbelieving, but be believing. Actually, that's what he says at the end of the book of John. John has a lot of the most believe in his writings. Like he used the word believe, I think, about a hundred times. I have to go back and refresh my, I don't want to misquote it, but he, and, and that's because John had a revelation of the love of God. When you know you're loved, you believe. The problem happens is when that love gets maligned by a human being, towards us and we start hardening our hearts and, and so often we project that towards God. But God is present to unburden those scares. So we be believing and not unbelieving. I think it's John 20. So here we have the story of Thomas. 
Thomas was one of the disciples, and he was the one that was the last to be convinced that Jesus did, did resurrect from, from the grave. And and because um, he had said, even though you tell me I'm not going to believe, I'm not going to believe, I need proof. I need proof. That's the ultimate. <laughs> I need proof that God is real. And so unless I put my finger in his wounds, then I'm not going to believe that Jesus resurrected. And so the mercy of God is that Jesus did not reject him for his unbelief. But he came right to Thomas himself. So let's go John 20, verse 24. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, one of the twelve disciples, one of the inner circle, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We've seen the Lord. And so he said to Thomas said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Unfortunately, the state of many of us, I mean, I believe I was one of those. I didn't come to faith until I was, what, 21, 22, I was brought up a non-believer and, um, and I had a very hardened heart and anything that had to do with God was outright rejected by me until I had a night vision. And I saw Jesus hanging on the cross and, and I knew that moment that he was the son of God and he died for me. And, and thereafter my life got transformed and I touched a bit on my testimony last Sunday, but so I can understand Thomas's moment here. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them this time and Jesus came. The resurrected Jesus came. The doors being shut, he walked right through the wall and stood in the midst because he's always in the supernatural. Stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Peace to you. Isn't that amazing? Peace to you. That's always, that's the one thing about God is when we are in the presence of God, peace is palpable. It's like, that's all we hear him saying, peace, peace. Peace to you. And he said to Thomas, reach your finger here. Look at my hands and reach your hand here. Put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. It's like almost he, well, not almost, he did. He addressed every single line of that statement of unbelief that Thomas had. And yet he wasn't present. But yet he heard because he hears unbelief. He hears, he knows a hardened heart from afar. Because Thomas said, unless I see in his hands the print of the nail and put my finger in the print of the nail and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. What did you say? Reach your finger here. Look at my side. Reach your hand here. Put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And that was my moment when I recognized that he died for me. It was like, my Lord, my God. Our eyes become open in that moment. When the mercy of God came and met you, right? When you said, I don't want anything to do with God because of, and his mercy will come and meet you there. And at that moment, mercy always provokes a response. My God, my Lord. That's the pure love of God. The pure love of God. 
And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord, my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those, blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. Because faith is of the heart. Faith is of the heart. And so in the, in, in, in the book of Isaiah, what we just read, was quoted in, this, in Mark and in Matthew, that when, he, when Isaiah looked ahead and saw the glory of Jesus, he saw their hardened hearts. And when he saw the hardened hearts, he said, though they're seeing, they're not seeing. Though they have eyes, they're not seeing. Though they have ears, they're not hearing. Why? A hardened heart. And so what he's saying, blessed are those who have not seen but yet believe, it's because my believer is not based on what I see. My believer is based on a persuasion that he is, who he says that he is. That's why if you go to the epistles, Paul, the apostle Paul, that we just briefly touched on his story of transformation on the road of Damascus when Jesus came to him and, and said, why are you persecuting me so and so said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said to him, I've called you to preach my word. So Paul, of course, got converted. And um, in one of his moments of preaching, the word is to the church in Ephesus. And there in chapter 1, he writes, I'm praying for you that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. That word, the eyes of your understanding, the eyes is of your heart. That word is of your heart. The very word that, that here we read in Matthew and in, in Mark, that their hearts are hardened. And so if I go to Ephesians, I'd go to Ephesians as I'm talking about it. In Ephesians 1, it's deeper in the New Testament. This is what you call the letters, the epistles. Ephesians 1, 18 the eyes of your understanding. So, so right before that, in, in verse 15, chapter 1, Paul says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, after I heard that you are now believing, after I heard that you are now believing, and that you have love for the saints, this is what he said, I'm just kind of paraphrasing a bit. I do not cease to give thanks for you. I, I thank God for your faith. I thank God that you have loved one for another. And look, what that, that prayer is expressing, that I'm praying, I'm making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, meaning that you grow up in the revelation of who God is. But how do we do that? The eyes of your understanding, that word is actually cardia, which is, you know, cardiac arrest, cardia. It's hard that the eyes of your heart be enlightened, be softened, that the light of the word goes in your heart and enlighten you to believe now. So it's all to do with the state of your heart. And when we recognize that God loves us, that love penetrates and starts moving away these calluses and, and obliterating these hard moments and from being doubters and really severe scrutinizers and deep reasoners and greatly fearful, we now become transformed into believing and trusting and, and kind-hearted and, and wide open with no fear of being maligned because 
me. He will surely keep me. I don't have to keep myself. I have to harden myself in this moment. I choose to trust God. But his wisdom in me is going to navigate me, so I'm going to hear. But you see, we can't even hear. He says, though they have ears, they're not hearing. Without a tenderizing of our heart, we can't even hear the direction that God's showing us to go in. So we find ourselves in one more hard place, one more hard place, and we go to the God, I thought you said I should be here. God, I thought I'm supposed to be a martyr for you and suffer through this moment when God never led you there. God never led you there, but he'll pick you up from there. But a hardened heart puts us in hard places because the state of your heart brings the direction of your life. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so the state of our heart is truly the state of our life. And so the heart is the leading motion of God. That's the inward man. And so let's look at two little things quickly before we close. They're not little, they're actually major. How to soften the heart. How to soften the heart. So here we're going to stay in, in, in Ephesians, Ephesians 3. This is Paul writing, for this reason, 3.1, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that, this is, this is the grace that was given to Paul for them, how that by revelation, he made known to me the mystery. How that by revelation, God made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you must understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So it is verse 4. By which when you read, you may understand. When you read, you may understand. When you read this mystery, which is the Bible, when you read the mysteries of the parables of the word of God, you will understand because we started in the beginning in Matthew where Jesus says, it's been given to you to understand the mysteries of the kingdom. How do you understand the mysteries of the kingdom? When we read, the same word understand is used in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 the writer writes here, it's actually verse 3, but I'm going to go to 3. I'll go 1, 2, and then 3. Now faith is the substance. Faith, faith is a persuasion. Faith is a walking out of that which we believe. Is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. So by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. Now right off the bat, in light of what we have been Talking about what would be a good testimony with God? A tender heart. He says, don't be unbelieving, but be believing. So when I'm believing, I'm gaining a good testimony with God. I have a good standing with God. And that's when verse 6 here, he, he goes to say that only faith pleases him. You know why? Because faith draws him close. When you believe me, I become close. God wants to be close. God wants to live inside of us and to navigate our life. So we don't harm ourselves and be dashed against the rocks of life. And so when I believe God, it's like he's drawing to me. 
I'm giving him access so he can do what he wants to do for me. And that's why we read in Nazareth, his own hometown, he was so grieved because they did not believe him. They were offended by him. Jesus, who's Jesus? Jesus. Jesus again, always Jesus. <laughs> and he couldn't do any mighty acts. So then, so then verse 3 here in the same chapter, by faith we understand. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. By faith we understand, this is a little, this is a little bit, okay, we're going to go a little bit deep now, okay, a little bit. Deep in the water. So, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So when Paul is saying to us, when you read, you understand. When you read what? Not the daily news. When you read the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was great to write and to give to us. When you read these epistles, when you read the writings of Paul, you understand. Here, the writer of Hebrews says, you only want to stand by faith. So when you read believing, you understand how the world was formed. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. And the more you read this word, the more your heart is persuaded by the truth of this word and you recognize the framing of the world is all place for you to conquer it. The framing of the world is all made for the child of God to walk in triumph over it. That the whole system was set up for Christ to be highly lifted up in my life, in your life, in everyone's life. So this world be drawn to the goodness and the mercy and the love of God. So we'd be no more broken in heart, but we'd be tender and alive. And so only by faith do we understand and faith is where? Not of my reasoning. Faith is not of the seeing, of the natural. Faith is a different seeing. Faith is of a seeing of my heart. Faith is of that which I believe. That's how I see. So all that we survey, going back to the beginning, is all that we see is framed by what we see on the inside. And so when we work, when we allow through the reading of the word to understand, it is shaping us to see it right. And I tell you when you see it right, when you see no more malice. <laughs> when you see no more, this is going to bring me down. When you only see love in a very hard world, that's when you only see God. And so the whole rechanging and transformation is that we as believers only see God and that is the liberation of mankind because when you see, when you see God is when you become most efficient on your job site when you become mo most productive in in your work of employment when you become most loving to another when you walk in pure forgiveness when you embrace of another when you can pray for another and see the sick recover it is when you see God you you you're now what drawing nigh unto him because you believe and when you're drawing nigh to him what is he doing he's drawing close to you and he's walking so when you now walk big brother's walking with you it's powerful never alone never alone in a, in a moment of, of, of worship a few Sundays I think it was September he had spoken to me it just bears repetition that God came to rescue 
the heart of man from hatred, the heavy systems of toil and oppression, from the sweat of the brow and the pain of, of bearing fruit, which is really, of course, as a female, that it initially was, you know, in terms of child labor, but, but it's for all of us at, at that moment when that word came, I could see it even for mankind, just, just the hard labor of making ends meet, of putting another long day at work, of, 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 of just income earning. And God said, love came. Love came to rescue us. Love came to rescue us from hatred, which is the hardened heart. Love came to rescue us. One more verse. There's so much more we can go next time. We'll go a little bit deeper more. But um, in Ephesians chapter 3 again, and this is verse 20, Paul writing, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think that work think is understand all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever amen and so let's let's break it down to him who is God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly we recognize God can do above and beyond what we can think or understand because he is God but yet as we are in that moment of recognizing God is the grandest entity of life that there ever is and ever will be. And that this divine entity of life can do all he wants to do. And that, at that moment, he brings it down to the inside working of me, though. Is he saying, yes, I can do above that which you think, above that which you understand, above that which you can even imagine. And yet it's according to that which is working inside of you. It's according to that which you believe me for. It's according to how you see me. It goes back to how his own hometown of Nazareth, when they were offended by him because they thought they knew him. I know Jesus. I know. I used to sing those Christmas carols for Jesus. He's the resurrected. He's the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is God. And he can do above and beyond. As long as we believe him. As long as, what does he say? According to the power that's dunamis, that's a miraculous power that's working in us, and to him then glory will be given. Because this vast, awesome God can work all things as long as we believe him. And when we believe him and he can do it through us, that is what brings him glory. His kindness, his goodness for what he does towards us. His loving expression of acceptance in Christ towards us. When we believe that, it gives him glory. He's not egotistical. He's the most lavish, kind God. And how do we understand these things? By reading. And when we read, this word is supernatural. This Bible is Jesus himself. In the book of Revelation, the very last book of the New Testament, he's referred to as the Word of God. This is a person. Comes alive before you. I start speaking. And those words are life. And they quicken my heart. And they produce faith. Which is a persuasion. Amen. So the title today was what? Love opens our hearts to understand. Amen. Thank you.